Well, our summer sermon series has been uh, about staying positive uh, in the midst of all the challenges of life. And so we want to continue uh, with that series today. Uh, hopefully you've been able to find some positivity in the midst of all that we have been challenged with. Um, you may be finding it easier to do as maybe the restrictions are lifted. Sorry, I got ahead of myself there a little bit. Um, and uh, it may be easy, becoming easier, though, as uh, we're able to get, do things like get together in church again and uh, encourage one another. And I hope this current sermon series has helped you a little bit in that way. Uh, we've looked at a series of scriptural teachings uh, that give us reason to be positive and to be hopeful. And so my prayer is that you're experiencing that, and that maybe after this morning, you will feel a little bit more positive as well. I wouldn't say that I am an overly positive person. Uh, a lot of the reason for that is tied up in our topic for today, which I'll get to in a minute. But, uh, you know, growing up, my family was not particularly close. There wasn't a lot of positivity there. Um, and... Uh, uh, as I was entering into ministry uh, and in my, in my younger years, I struggled a lot with having a positive attitude towards life. I do sometimes like to say that positivity is in my blood because my blood type happens to be be positive. <laughs> so this is the perfect servant series for me. But I often do struggle with being positive, as I'm sure uh, all of you do. And a lot of the reason for that is tied into our topic for today. And that is this idea of confidence. I can't say that I, I've been a, a, you know, a hugely confident person all through my early years. I certainly struggled with that through school. And even as I entered into ministry... I felt myself answering a call, but it was still with a fair amount of fear and trepidation. And God has this habit of bringing into my experience challenges and situations that uh, stress my confidence uh, in the day-to-day. -day. Maybe one of the most vivid experiences I had of this was when I went on a short-term mission trip to a country in the Middle East, I won't say uh, which one that was. It was a short-term mission, and the idea there was I was going to lead a team to this country, and we were going to encourage the, uh, the workers that were in the field there. And uh, in addition to touring the country, uh, we were also going to lead uh, in a retreat for these personnel. And so I was going to be the speaker at the retreat, and the rest of the team that I took with me was going to do childcare and, and, and that sort of stuff. And I remember sitting on the plane as we're flying into this country and thinking to myself, what am I doing here? I must have been crazy to say yes to this idea. Like, I, I must have lost my mind in that, in that moment. Uh, you know, I've got no business being here. They're going to find my body in a field somewhere, and that'll be the end of it. And, you know, and this is the script that's going through my mind as the plane is getting ready to, to land. And I'm looking over at my team members who are on the plane, and they're having a ball. They're just looking to this great adventure. They're looking forward to all the new experiences they're going to have. 
and uh, they're just excited to see what's going to be happening. But my confidence in that moment is at zero. Can you relate to that story? Have you ever been there? Maybe you're there right now. The question that is raised through this is, how do you stay positive in a life situation which is challenging and difficult and maybe you can't see your way through it? How do you find confidence that allows you to move forward boldly and confidently in life? Well, I think there is a way to do it. But it's not in rehearsing how strong we are or how capable we are or how tough we are or how superior we are to someone else. It's not the way the world finds its confidence. It's all about recalling the truth and the power that can come to a life that is centered and dependent in the God of all creation. Now, if you have your scriptures with you, your Bibles, in one form or another, I'm going to get you to turn to Psalm 1 today, and I want to make a few quick observations uh, from this psalm that I think can point us to confidence for life. Psalm 1 is one of my favorite portions of scripture, and I'm sure many of you are very familiar with it. Um, And uh, I think as we look at it, what we can see are some principles that allow us to live confidently in the Spirit of the Lord. So if you turn there, and I'm going to go a little bit out of sequence here this morning. I want to start with this general sense of what the psalm is talking about. Uh, The psalmist gives us an amazing picture of what it means to be the object of God's blessing. And he talks about God's heart and his desire to bless And so we want to start with that. So I'm actually going to start in verse 3. Verse 3 says this. That person, this person who is blessed, is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. And what the psalmist is saying here is that those who know life in God are compared to a tree planted by a stream of water. And the psalmist, I don't think, is thinking about just some random tree out in the wilderness. I think what he has in mind is a tree that is very purposely planted beside maybe an irrigation canal or some source of water so it's able to thrive there. And it's not subject to dryness or inconsistency in the weather. I get the sense of a living creature that is firmly established and rooted and connected to what gives it life. And I hear the same kind of idea, for instance, when Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, and he talks about this living water that he wants to give to her, the kind of water that means you'll never be thirsty, and which will become a spring of water welling up into life. And of course, he's not speaking physically, he's speaking figuratively, he's speaking spiritually there. He is the source of that living water. And in the image, this tree is productive. It bears its fruit in season. The tree is nourished toward productivity by the water. It yields its fruit, not all the time, 
but in its appointed time, when it does so by God's design. And then again, its leaf does not wither. There's a sense of life that can't be defeated, despite the hardships that might come to it. I don't think what the psalmist here is saying, that the tree never knows hardship. It's more the idea that when the hardship comes, the tree is able to withstand that. I say that for a couple of reasons. Um, the book of Psalms comes right after the book of Job, which I don't think actually is an accident. The book of Job, as you know, is a book that talks a lot about suffering and challenge in life. And it's as if those who have put Scripture together as God has fashioned it together, he, he brings this exclamation point to his word and he says, even in the midst of difficulty and challenge, you can thrive and be confident in my blessing. There's, a, there's a, a similar passage in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 17, verses 7 to 8, which I think says it a little more clearly. I'll just read this to you. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. That's Jeremiah 17, verses 7 to 8. And it's a little more clear in those verses that when the heat comes and when the drought comes, this tree is still fruitful and productive and abundant. And I think what God is saying here is that God wants to bless and provide new life, even in the midst of hardship. And it can sometimes be a hard thing for us to accept. And I'm, I'm frankly a bit surprised by the power of this image. It really sounds amazing to be this kind of person who is solid and grounded and productive and we can withstand the difficulties uh, that come. There are a lot of days where I have to admit I can't say that, that I'm that kind of a person. I, I, I feel defeat, I feel inadequate, I feel overwhelmed. And, and honestly, sometimes I wonder, does God really want to bless me? But those are the days when I need to be reminded that even if I don't feel it, I serve a God who in his heart of hearts wants to bless. I think one of the greatest barriers to confidence is often a failure to believe this central truth that God really does want to see us blessed at his hand. And if you struggle with that, I want to tell you that he really does want that for you. I say that on the strength of God's word and the fact that his word is sure. And you may need to just take a moment, even right now, and just kind of let that sink in. God wants to bless me. That is, the, that is the intention, that is the nature of his heart. He wants the best for us, and he wants to bring us new life. So that's the first thing we need to remember. If we want to live confidently, we need to remember that we serve this kind of a God. Now, 
the psalmist starts the psalm, we're going to back up a little bit now, by talking about the ways that we disqualify ourselves as recipients of life or God's blessing. So we're going to go back now to verse 1. The psalmist says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. Now there's kind of a progression in what the psalmist is saying here. This person who knows God's blessing doesn't listen to the advice of the wicked, he doesn't stand in the way of them, or he doesn't participate in their evil actions. And so if you like alliteration, what he's saying here is when we know God's blessing, it comes to us when we avoid the, avoid the advice, the actions, and the attitudes of those who are opposed to God. Positively speaking, this is a person who lives for God. The whole life reflects an allegiance to God rather than the world. And this life is marked by righteousness. It's marked by uh, a heart and, and, and actions and daily routines that look and follow after him. As I was reading this, I was reminded of the example of Joshua. In Joshua chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, uh, God is challenging Joshua to take the promised land. And he tells Joshua that no man will be able to stand before him. He says, be strong and courageous. And he tells him, take the book of the law, meditate on it day and night. Be careful to do everything that is written in it. This is what the psalmist is talking about here. The mind is key to who the man is, but there's no greater man of action in Scripture than Joshua. And he shows us that Joshua, while he's delighting day and night in God's Word, he is also not just in a corner meditating. He's weighing each aspect of the Word and he's doing it as he leads the people out to conquer the land that God has given them. And that's what the psalmist is calling us to here. A faith that is in a living relationship with God. That listens to his word, but that also lives it out. That strives to understand it and then puts it into action. This renewal, God's life, his blessing comes to those who strive to live in that way. And so the challenge for us is to live not as the world lives, but as God calls us to live. Our confidence for life comes from the conviction that God's blessing arises out of our obedience to him. When we walk the path that he has marked for us. I was reading an interesting uh, detail about carrier pigeons. You all know what a carrier pigeon is? Our days of communication have changed a little bit. We don't use carrier pigeons. But back in the day, it was an amazing form of communication. There are about 290 species of pigeons, but there's only one that has adapted to live in cities. And this one species has an amazing skill. It's an ability to find their way home. And recent studies have suggested that the way they do that is they actually follow 
human as well as natural structures on the ground. So they will follow canals and they will follow roads. They have even observed pigeons of this kind. If they find a, a traffic circle or a roundabout, they will circle up above that until they find the right exit and then they follow that. That's how they're able to find their way home. They are remarkably successful. They can fly at 110 miles an hour, can cover 700 miles in one flight without stopping. It's amazing. Back in the First World War, they used to use pigeons to communicate uh, in the, uh, the rear uh, lines behind them. Second World War pilots, as late as the Second World War, used to carry them in cages in their planes so that if they were ever downed, if they ever crashed, they could send a message with the pigeon to tell people where their location was so they could come and be rescued. It was amazing. The key to the bird's success, though, was them following the right path home. In doing that, they served remarkably and reliably well. And there's a spiritual parallel here for us. The psalmist tells us that as we follow the path that God has set for us, a path that is marked out by his word, we too can be confident that we will live productively and successfully for the glory of God. Now, having dealt with the negative, in other words, what not to do in verse 1, the psalmist turns to the positive and reinforces it in verse 2. And he says this, But whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. What the psalmist is calling us to, this, this confident living that we can have, comes to us when we delight in the law of the Lord. And he's not just talking about a single command. I think he's talking about the totality of Scripture. And he's saying, when we approach it with dedication and determination and perseverance, when we delight in it, we can be confident that we will live well. God wants to lay this foundation in our hearts. And with that foundation of his word, we can be confident that we can live well for him. I can't remember if I have shared this story or not, but I had an experience of this as I was building a patio in our backyard one year. This was back in Edmonton, I think. Yes, my wife is nodding. This was back in Edmonton. And we had a backyard. I, was, I wanted to build a patio of, of field stone. And if you know field stone, you know it's all irregular shapes and so on. And uh, it was quite a job for me uh, because I wanted to make it a square patio, but all of these stones are of irregular shape. And so it's quite the job to try to arrange them in such a way that you sort of have something resembling a straight edge on the sides. And then to make it even harder, you have to lay the right foundation for a patio, right? So you got to put the sand down, you got to put the rocks down, you got to make sure that the, the stones don't go all like this. And then, once you've done that, you also have to position them carefully because they're not all the same depth. Even within the same stone, they can change the height of what the rock is. So it's quite a lot of fiddling 
to get it exactly right, looking good and solid so that you have a good foundation for, to walk on. And I think our approach to God's Word is a lot like that. It's a lot of puzzling and putting together and trying to understand how the different pieces fit and trying to put it all together in a coherent fashion so that we are walking consistently as God would have us walk. Many people make the choice to to not put the work in, to figure all that out. But the psalmist encourages us to do that, to be diligent students of the word, to know how all of these things fit together so that we can walk faithfully as God directs. And then there's something else here. He also asks us to delight in the Lord. When we seek his truth, when we truly hunger after what he has revealed to us, then we can know God's blessing as we understand it and we follow it. Our approach to God's word can't be just, you know, kind of a a curiosity or, or something that we'll take or leave it depending on what we find there. We need to delight in it. We need to have find joy in communicating with God through it. I wonder if you approach God's word with that in mind. Is it just words on a page when you read God's word? Or do you anticipate having a conversation with God when you read his word? That's really what it is. God is speaking to you through his word. And you have an opportunity to speak to him and respond to him. There's an intimacy to this. A delight, the kind of delight that we find in relationships with other people. We find that with God through his word. And so God is longing to bless and to visit with those who long to know him through his word. And if we give ourselves to that task, make it a priority, we can be confident that God will reveal himself to us and that allows us to walk confidently with him. Well, there's one more section I want to check in the psalm and it's verses four to six. And we want to see how the psalmist contrasts the wicked with the righteous in these verses. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. In rather vivid imagery here, the psalmist depicts those who have rejected God as being insignificant or unsubstantial. He compares them to uh, the chaff, the, the husks, and the outside of, of the, the corn or the wheat. When it's thrown in the air, the wind comes along and just blows it away. It cannot stand. And even as the righteous choose not to stand in the way of the wicked... Here what we see is the wicked are unable to stand before God. They may look substantial this side of heaven, but really there is nothing, and and that's an awful fate indeed. And if you're at all like me, it's it's a little hard to listen to this description. I mean, who, who can meet this standard? 
Who's up to this calling to love the Lord's law and reflect on it day and night, to never walk in the way of evil by commission or omission, doing things that are evil, to never do anything like that, to delight in our relationship with God. It's a pretty high bar. Who of us can meet it? But as we reflect on our shortcomings and our failures, and maybe as we even despair at ever really being that kind of person, God speaks this word of comfort into our souls. In the ESV translation, we read that God says, I know you. In in the NIV, it says, he watches over the way of the righteous. The hope of the psalm is that God will bless the ones he knows and the ones he loves. He will watch over my soul and yours as we come to trust in him. Psalm 31, verse 7. I will rejoice and be glad in thy loving kindness because thou hast seen my affliction. Thou hast known the troubles of my soul. One of the greatest Old Testament stories of salvation is God rescuing his people from captivity in Egypt. And in Exodus chapter 2, verse 25, we read there where the people cry out to God out of their bondage. And God, we read, sees the sons of Israel. He takes notice of them. Literally, the language there means God knows them and rescues them. God's knowledge of us is his deep commitment to us, to love us and to care for his own. And salvation is not just an initial decision. It is a journey. It is a journey that begins with a decision to trust in Jesus Christ. The scripture tells us that we are all lost in our sin. We are, we are lost on our way. We have no idea where the right path is. But Christ goes to the cross. He gives his life for us. He pays the penalty for our sin so that we can embrace that sacrifice as our own. That we can claim it as something we need and come to believe in him as Savior. Take him as Lord. And as we do that, we take a step onto the right path that God has designed for us. That's where the journey really begins. And if you have not made that decision, you can do that right now. Pray that right now where you are. Take Jesus to be your Savior. But it doesn't end there. Our life of faith is a journey. And God promises that he will walk with us and watch over us and help us to take each and every step along the way. And when we have strayed from him and the life that he brings, he invites us to be renewed, to be cleansed, and to begin life again with him. This is his plan for us. And we can live with confidence because we know that God is for us, that he will watch over us, that he will direct our path, and he will bless every step that we take. So, Hear the word of the Lord. 
God has spoken. And now, what is your response? You know, Psalm 1 is written as an introduction to the entire book of Psalms. And to understand the way the Psalms work, we have to appreciate that they are really responses to something that God has already said. The Psalms are not simply meant to be read as someone's thoughts about God. They're really part of a conversation. The Psalms are a call to listen for what God is saying and then to respond in the way that the psalmist does and calls us to. So the question for us this morning is this. What is God saying to you in this moment? For those who are fearful, for those who lack courage, for those whose confidence for life has slipped away for whatever reason, for those who feel the weight of responsibility overwhelming them, for those whose spirit is heavy, God says this, I long to bring you new life. I will bless you as you follow me. I will bless as you embrace my truth. I am watching over you. Live with confidence because I am with you and I am for you. God has spoken. What is your response? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are weak and frail creatures, born of dust and tossed to and fro by life. We all too often imagine ourselves to be strong and immovable, only to see our confidence and our courage crumble in the face of heartache and pain. Forgive us when we forget that we can be strong, but only as we look to you for strength and confidence for the day. So this morning, we humbly ask that you would be our confidence. Give us the gift of faith. This faith that knows beyond question that you want to bring us new life, that you want to bless, that your truth is our direction and that you lovingly watch over us. Let those truths fill us with a confidence, not in ourselves, but in the one who loves without fail. And it is in his name, in Jesus' name, that we pray these things. Amen.